If you're gay, then you're gay. Don't pretend that you're straight. You could be who you are any day of the week. You are unlike the others, so strong and unique. We're all with you. If you're straight, well, that's great. You can help procreate and make gay little babies for the whole human race. Make a world we can live in where the one who you love's not an issue. Cause we're all somewhere in the middle. We're all just looking for love to change the world. Ah. And we're all here in it together. Thanks for tuning in, and welcome to IMRU Radio Magazine. The nation's longest-running lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender radio show. Out front and out loud since 1974, I'm Chris Ann Eastwood. I'm Wenzel Jones. And I'm Steve Pride. Tonight, we will be talking to Alabama's only openly gay state legislator, Representative Patricia Todd. I talked with former Cirque du Soleil star Joe Pagnano about his book, Acrobatic, a contortionist heroin romance. And we jump in the gay back machine to visit the late Rod McEwen's birthday party in 2003. Mm. Oh, while you're back there, could you pick me up some videotapes? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm going to share my chat with newly out country star Billy Gilman. He was at the grand opening of Flaming Saddles right here in West Hollywood. But first, the national and international news from This Way Out. <laughs> I'm Michael Allen. And I'm Carol Myers. With NewsRap, a summary of some of the news in or affecting LGBT communities around the world for the week ending January 31st, 2015. The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, the Mormon Church, made headlines this week with an announcement about what was generally reported as a more welcoming policy toward LGBT people, even though the announcement was very clear that religious rights must also be guaranteed. In a televised press conference and online statements published on the official Mormon website, church leaders said that local, state, and federal governments need to protect LGBT people from discrimination in such areas as housing, employment, and public accommodation in hotels, restaurants, and transportation. But the church elders also said that people should not be charged with discrimination if it's based on their religious beliefs. People of faith must maintain their constitutional rights, the statement said. This would include living in accordance with their deeply held religious beliefs, including choosing their profession or employment, or serving in public office without intimidation, coercion, or retaliation from another group. LGBT advocates say the church is simply endorsing licenses to discriminate. Two days after the Mormon Church's announcement ostensibly backing non-discrimination laws, Idaho became the first heavily Mormon state to consider such a bill. It would have added four words— sexual orientation, and gender identity to the state's anti-bias laws. But the Republican-dominated Idaho House State Affairs Committee voted 13 to 4 along party lines on January 29th to kill the bill. The Washington Post reported that all five Mormon committee members voted against it. One of them, Republican Representative Ken Andrus, told the Post that the concern was that it would conflict with religiously held views. 
Activists have campaigned for LGBT anti-bias protection in Idaho for nine years. More than 190 protesters, often with their hands over their mouths to symbolize equality voices not being heard, were arrested during a series of civil disobedience demonstrations at the State House during the 2014 legislative session. Civil marriage is now open to same-gender couples in 36 U.S. states, but only 18 states prohibit discrimination based on sexual orientation and gender identity in employment, housing, and public accommodations. Three states ban bias based on sexual orientation, but not gender identity. And 29 states, including states with civil marriage equality, have no LGBT anti-bias protections at all. But U.S.-based global oil giant ExxonMobil has finally added LGBT workers to its anti-discrimination policies. Workplace equality advocates say that the move was forced by President Obama's July 2014 executive order banning federal contractors from anti-LGBT bias. According to the Associated Press, ExxonMobil has won more than $8 billion in federal contracts since 2006. Tico Almeida, whose Freedom to Work organization is suing the company for alleged anti-gay discrimination in its hiring processes, told BuzzFeed that... Exxon's management deserves little credit for finally adopting the LGBT fairness policies they have rejected year after year for almost two decades. But, he added, this is an important victory for the company's current LGBT employees and future LGBT job applicants. Elsewhere, a first-ever lawsuit charging anti-gay workplace discrimination has been filed in China. The plaintiff said he was fired from the design company he worked for soon after he was outed as gay online. Mu Yi, a pseudonym, was dubbed Little Red Riding Hood after a video of him shouting at his partner on the street was posted online and went viral. The indictment accuses the company of violating Mu's right to equal employment and requests an apology and 50,000 yuan in compensation for spiritual damages. A court in the southern city of Shenzhen heard arguments last week. An officer of the Chinese branch of PFLAG, parents, families, and friends of lesbians and gays, hailed it as the first ever such lawsuit in China. A ruling is expected within three months. But homophobic persecution continues in many parts of Africa. Twelve young men were arrested by Islamic State police during a raid in northern Nigeria this week and charged with planning a gay wedding. An 18-year-old detainee, whom police called the bride, said he and his friends were only celebrating his birthday, not planning a gay wedding. Homosexuality is punished in northern Nigeria under Sharia, or Islamic law, with death by stoning, though enforcement of that sentence is reportedly rare. All 12 suspects remain behind bars awaiting formal charges. Some of the other party guests managed to escape and remain in hiding. And, according to Uganda's Rainbow Health Foundation, nine young gay men were attacked on January 15th by a homophobic mob, arrested, and subjected to anal examinations to determine if they're gay. Such practices have been deemed scientifically useless by medical professionals around the world and degrading forms of torture by global human rights groups. Police said they initially detained the teens to protect them, but then considered filing sodomy charges. The young men had to be moved to district police headquarters when the mob threatened to break down the local police station doors to get at them. They were released five days later on January 20th, but they're far from out of harm's way. Some are said to be house hopping or hiding in fields. 76crimes.com reported that. 
These young men are in real danger should they be found. But an Egyptian appeals court has dismissed the cases against all 26 men accused of debauchery, the usual charge since the country has no specific laws against gay sex, in December's infamous Cairo bathhouse raid. Although a lower court had already acquitted the men, the appeals court decision ends any further legal action against them. A lawyer for seven of the men said they intend to sue sensationalist Cairo TV investigative reporter Mona Iraqi, who allegedly arranged the raid by tipping off police that her cameras would be rolling as the men were paraded out of the bathhouse, half-naked to waiting police vans. The lawyer said they'd also be filing a claim with the office that investigates police misconduct, alleging that the officer who led the raid fabricated testimony. The appeals court ruling doesn't signal any easing of the current crackdown on gay men in Egypt, however. President Abdel Fattah Assisi has stepped up enforcement of laws against debauchery since the military ousted his predecessor, Mohamed Morsi, of the Muslim Brotherhood, in 2013. The Assisi government has even pressured news outlets to increase reports on the arrests of people accused of so-called morality crimes, some say in an effort to appear more Islamic than the previous regime and to discourage political stories that expose the government's failings. In other news, the seven justices of the California Supreme Court voted unanimously on January 23rd to prohibit judges in the state from participating in nonprofit youth groups that discriminate against a class of people. The youth group most affected by the move is undoubtedly the Boy Scouts of America. Although the BSA lifted its ban on gay youth last year, it still bans gay adult leaders, including young men who've been scouts for years and want to continue working with the organization as adult leaders after they turn 18. The state high court in 1996 banned judges from belonging to organizations that deny membership to people based on classifications like race, gender, or sexual orientation. An exception was made at the time for youth groups and religious organizations. The youth group's exception has now been removed. Under the state constitution, the California Supreme Court maintains its code of judicial ethics to establish standards of ethical conduct for state judges on and off the bench and for candidates for judicial office. The rule change will go into effect on January 21, 2016. And finally, a street in the city of Catania, Sicily, is going to be renamed in the honor of pioneering British World War II codebreaker Alan Turing. Catania is the seventh largest metropolitan area in Italy and the second largest city in Sicily. The local council approved naming a road for Turing, along with a few other men and women who, according to local reports, have made strong contributions to culture, art, society, or science. The council also unanimously approved naming a street after gay Italian singer Lucio Dalla, who died in 2012. Dubbed the father of the modern computer, Alan Turing's profile has been raised considerably since the premiere of The Imitation Game, the Oscar-nominated film about Turing cracking the encrypted German Enigma code, thereby playing a significant role in the defeat of the Nazis. Of course, Turing's story included being persecuted for his homosexuality later in life, which eventually drove him to suicide. There are also a number of roads and buildings named after Alan Turing in the UK, including at Surrey Research Park. And there's a memorial statue of Turing sitting on a bench in Manchester's Sackville Park. To his left is the University of Manchester, and to his right is Canal Street, the main thoroughfare of the city's gay village. That's News Wrap for the week ending January 31st, 2015. 
Produced by Steve Pride, written by Greg Gordon, and recorded at the studios of KPFK Los Angeles. Follow the news in your area and around the world. An informed community is a strong community. News Wrap from This Way Out is brought to you by you. Help keep us on the air and in your ears at thiswayout.org, where you can also read the text of this newscast. For This Way Out, I'm Michael Allen. And I'm Carol Myers. You can hear all 30 minutes of the latest This Way Out, including more news wrap on Stitcher Radio On Demand, on iTunes, or at thiswayout.org. Also on the program this week, you'll hear about U.S. Republicans who board a ship of fools with harbingers of hate, but true love speaks up in gay conversations with God. I have no idea what any of that means. It's all very... You know know something that I do want to talk about? What? Sweet homo Alabama. Ah. Representative Patricia Todd was elected... To the Alabama House of Representatives back in 2006, and I gotta say something: being in government in California, being in government in New York City as an out representative is very different, I think, than being an out representative in the state of Alabama. Representative Todd, are you there? I'm here. I'm here. How you doing? We keep hearing things about you out there. Could <laughs> well, you just give us, first it. off, the Reader's Digest condensed version of what the heck is going on in Alabama? Well, Friday, the um, federal court struck down our marriage ban, so it was a surprise to all of us. So it happened about Friday night, about 5.30. So Saturday morning, I get up, start looking at comments, the paper and stuff, and the speaker of our house, who I thought was a friend of mine, said something like, this is outrageous, that one judge can overdo the vote of the people, and... We'll do everything in our power to protect the Christian values of Alabama. Mm. Well, it sort of ticked me off, so I went on my Facebook page and said, be careful before you compare your family values, because I know many of you all have had affairs, and I will ask you if you condemn my community. Hi, Representative Todd. This is So what has Hi. happened since you've made that threat? <laughs> that nobody said a word. <laughs> Is it no one has said a word about we want Nobody to? Nobody has said a word. Really? I mean, it's like dead silence. Now, Roy Moore is our chief justice of our Supreme Court. I remember just, him very well. Yeah, yeah. Well, he's probably going to get removed from the bench again. Um, <laughs> I can't believe he got so reelected he, again. Well, the only reason he did is because we have a straight party vote in Alabama. Mm. So you just go in and vote, you know, straight Republican. I. Um, so, yeah, so or a gay Democrat. No, it's been very quiet, and um, you know the legislators that I have seen, we're not in session, have been have had a great sense of humor. They'll come over to me and say, "Am I on the list?" <laughs> well, speaking of and, on the uh, list, is anyone sending you flowers, candy, trips to Europe? <laughs> I mean, they wouldn't be considered really bribes if it's just across the aisle for you to be quiet. I mean, has, <laughs> well, has anyone reached out work. to you and said, "Please, not me, not me, not me." No, no. Well, Representative, but my best friend in the legislature, a guy from Tuscaloosa, called me last week, and he said, "I want you to know everybody's calling me to find out if you really have a list and who's on the list." <laughs> <laughs> now, Representative Todd, this is Wenzel, and I was just—I had read that you had received death threats over this, yep. um, and and I was just wondering, in this day and age, how does one receive a death threat? Is it tweeted to you or? Not email or phone messages. A couple of them, the security at the state house has taken their phone numbers, and I don't know what they're going to do. But you know, 
people can't argue with me about the merit of this, so they have to attack me personally. In fact, uh, AL.com did a cartoon this weekend of me carrying Roy Moore. No caption. They've asked people to give a caption for it, so we'll see what they come up with. But it's it's gotten everybody talking about the food speech. So tell me about, you know, when we talked about the death threats, I mean, do you feel safe in your home? Do you feel safe at your job? Um, is that something yes. have you have any, do you feel like you need security or something like that? No, no. And I will not let anybody alter my, my lifestyle. I, I live alone. I'm going through a divorce. I'm sorry to hear I'm that. Single. Mm. Uh, I'm single. Just fine. putting it out there for uh, our listeners. Yeah, just putting that out there. Um, I've just gotten a dog. Um, I've got a security system. My neighbors are all aware, and the police captain for my precinct serves in the legislature with me. So he's doing an extra patrol by my house, and I feel, you know, if they're going to do something, they're going to do something. There's nothing I can do to alter that. Now but I, they won't shut me up. I, I was wondering, were you out when you were elected in 2006? Yes. And how, yes. How, how is that even possible in Alabama? Because I have family there, so I'm not unfamiliar with the state. Well, it is sort of a miracle. Um, it's probably the most liberal district in the state. It's central Birmingham, so I've got Crestwood, where a lot of gay couples live, and Forest Park, which is a very wealthy, sort of white liberal area. When I ran, the guy who had the seat retired. But it's a majority black district, so that makes it even more interesting. And uh, we just worked real hard and beat five black opponents. And uh, but I won re-election in ten with no opposition, and in fourteen because I had made the teachers association a little mad at me. They ran a candidate against me, but I beat them. Mm-hmm. So what happens next? Now we have the stay. So is there there is an appeal? When it, what's going to happen next? Walk us through. When are people going to be able to get married in Alabama? Well, we hope a week from well two weeks from today. Okay. There are two options. One, she could lift the stay, and which would be on a Friday. So it mean Monday they'd have to start accepting licenses, or. She could continue to stay until the Supreme Court decision. So it would go then to Roy Moore and his court? No. No, no. go to the U.S. Supreme Court. federal court. Gotcha. Okay. Well, where it would go next is the 11th Circuit. The 11th Circuit's already ruled on this. Yes, they have. Yeah. So they're not going to take this case up. So, and you know the Supreme Court's going to rule in our favor. Yes, they are. Everybody knows that. Yeah. Representative Todd, I want to wish you the best of health, and please serve your district for as long as you, for you and for Ruth Bader Ginsburg, I want wish a long and active political life. Thank you. Thank you all. Well, that was fantastic. That was great. And, you know, I always feel like we're, we're talking to the next Molly Ivins. I love a Southern uh-huh. woman with a good sense of humor about politics and the way it's played. But Molly Ivins just talked about politics. This woman doesn't. I know, I know. That makes she it She is a lawmaker. Well, this is a natural transition then to talk about an... Acrobat from Boston, I suppose. Of course. Joe Pugnano went from Olympic gymnast dreams to life as a homeless junkie. Well, that sounds cheery. But (laughs) luckily, things got better. 
Joe Perignano is an acrobat. He's performed on Broadway and at the Metropolitan Opera House. He was the original Crystal Man, bringing light and the spark of life to mankind. In Cirque du Soleil's Totem, he's a sexy fitness model. The boy next door with a million dollar smile and a body to die for. And technically, he did die. Because just a few years ago, Cho was a homeless junkie. My name is Joe Putniano, and I am a gymnast contortionist with Cirque du Soleil and the author of Acrobatics. Around the age of eight, I was watching the 1984 Olympics, and I saw gymnastics for the very first time, and I knew in that moment that this is what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. It was my one religious moment where I felt like God came in and said, this is who you're supposed to be. And I immediately took the cushions off the couch and started flipping. I was trying to mimic exactly what I saw. I couldn't, of course. I intuitively knew what to do, but I just needed kind of the guidance to get there. And a month later, I learned my first backflip, and my parents put me in class. And after that, I took off, you know, like a match to gasoline, and it was just literally became my passion, my everything. I love to talk about gymnastics in the early days because... That was when the passion was so exciting. And I love to talk about how the passion changed later <laughs> in my life into addiction, which is obsession. What were your parents like? They were consumed with their own alcoholism. And since I was the baby, they were kind of done raising kids. They didn't give me what I guess a child needed at that point. And they thought I was okay because of gymnastics. Like I was doing this thing I was really good at and passionate. And I was kind of a good quiet boy, so they didn't think I needed any parenting, which in hindsight we all could see that I really needed some tools at life. But, you know, I love them. When did your addictions begin? Around 15. My progression was very textbook. I started smoking pot and then uh, tried acid, and then was that whole 90s rave thing in Boston, which was extremely exciting for me because it was so opposite of gymnastics. It's actually when I first discovered I was gay, or I should say accepted I was gay. And the rave world, to me, it, you know, it was like a fantasy world. It was like heaven crashed into the earth, and gymnastics was so clean-cut, disciplined, that this was just the polar opposite, and I, I fell in love with it. So the rave scene definitely introduced me to Crystal and Kay and all the club drugs. And then ultimately I went to Coke and had a problem with that and then had really bad problem with prescription drugs. And I was kicked out of college twice and sent to rehab. I lost my grants, and I ended up homeless. I thought there was something wrong with me and there was I was definitely sick but I couldn't name it I couldn't understand there was this desperation inside of me this urgency in 12-step recovery we call it a god-sized hole that's a good description and drugs at the time seemed to fill that it seemed to make me feel complete so when I was faced with mundane things or going to college or you know being a good human being I couldn't because the addiction was so consuming. And of course, when one's high, they're not going to do the most healthiest things or, or make great judgments or choices. My addiction in college was actually worse than my heroin addiction. 
I know that sounds odd, but I was able to control heroin a little bit more because I had learned the longer you do drugs, the more you become better at becoming a functioning addict. And I know that's kind of an oxymoron to say a functioning heroin addict, but it becomes medicinal. You learn how to get away with it. The job of an addict in the end becomes how to keep this feeling, do whatever I can to keep it, and make believe and make the rest of the world think that I'm actually not on anything. I could admit what I was doing wasn't good. I, you know, I'd been arrested and all these things. Like it, I had the things in life that one could definitely say you have a problem with drugs and alcohol happening, car accidents and homelessness and um, overdoses. But the acceptance of actually admitting that this is what I was would mean that I would have to do something about it. So if you don't admit it, then you can kind of live in that state of denial. How did heroin make you feel? Heroin is a painkiller. If someone's in a lot of pain, it's an excellent drug. And what I mean by that, it's not a physical pain. We're human beings. We have a lot of internal pain. We have a lot of psychological pain. If for someone who is suffering from that and, and takes heroin, which makes them feel euphoric and numb, as if they're on fire on the inside, they never, ever want to let go of something like that. And for me, I had damaged my life so much from previous drugs and, and from the lifestyle of addiction that once I got to heroin, it was as if God was holding me. And I never, ever wanted him to let me go. When I was high on heroin, I felt safe. I felt protected. I felt loved. I felt cared for. And those are the things that I didn't feel in life. So once I started using this, it seemed like the solution to life. Like, shouldn't one feel better? Is that so wrong? And I would say, no, it's not. It's okay. And people should feel better. Unfortunately, with addiction, especially mine, to keep an addiction going, you're destroying not only your own life, but the lives of those who love you. And then you have to do uh, criminal things to keep a very expensive addiction going, which, of course, I had to do. So, yeah. Addiction is the hottest and most difficult full-time job that you can never quit. <laughs> Heroin, in fact, killed you. Two cardiac deaths, which meant my heart stopped. That was not enough to get me sober. I actually was, uh, I think, 19 or 20, so I was very arrogant in my invincible God years. And I thought I beat death. Look at me. Look how strong I am. I, even this can't kill me. Why were you so unhappy? I don't know. I'm not special. I'm not unique. I'm not some incredible person. I'm just a human, and we all have suffering. What I chose to do with my suffering was destructive, though I thought it was going to save me, but I really hated myself for not making it to the Olympics because that was my destiny. It's what I thought I was going to do, so I felt like a failure every day for the rest of my life. I hated myself for being gay. And I didn't have really good coping tools for life. Transitioning from homeless junkie back to working acrobat, you continued using. When I discovered gymnastics movement, a lot of dancers can relate to this. When they move, they're on fire. There's a lightning inside of them. And then I switched to drugs, which gave me a similar feeling, got sober, and then went back to the origin of my euphoria, which was gymnastics. You would think that would be enough. You would think the 
disease would be uh, satisfied. For me, it wasn't because I was already an addict. And I'll never forget, I was performing at the Metropolitan Opera House. I was doing Turandot and the lead soprano, Andrea Gruber, was a recovering opiate addict. And here I was, I had just shot up. I tumbled on stage, and then I would listen to her aria and pray to God that her voice would just heal me somehow, would get me clean. And those moments I'll never forget because I was absolute desperation sitting there in front of the, the audience thinking that this power would somehow heal me and save me, and it couldn't. Then I knew I was in trouble. When your art can't save you, who can? Well, what did make you stop? Oh, here's the deal with mental illnesses and addictions. What I don't think people understand is that they're progressive and they're fatal. And this is both mental illness and addiction. If you don't treat it, it actually gets worse over the years. I could see this in my own life, and I knew this just from talking to so many therapists throughout my life. And I was terrified of being the 50-year-old guy who was still shooting up. That was the thought that said, this is as good as life will ever be right now at this moment. You, $20, a syringe and a spoon. This is Christmas. This is Thanksgiving. This is your family. This is your love. Do you want more? Of course I did. I just couldn't do it. And at that point, I believed I was way too sick to recover. Before, I didn't think I had a problem. And now I thought my problem was too severe to actually get clean. When I went to 12-step, I was like, these people are just, you know, light users in comparison to what I did. But that's the arrogance of Joe (laughs) and the arrogance of addiction and ego. Of course, lots of them use like I did. People do every day right now. It was that thought along with this tiny flicker inside of me, this flame, this spark of life would not extinguish. And it's the worst feeling to want to kill it, but to have hope not die. It's so much easier to surrender, you know, fully. It wouldn't. So that coupled with the thought of growing old as an addict was just like you have got to give everything you have to get better. And I did. How long have you been sober? I'll have eight years on March 25th, hopefully, if I stay sober till then. Hopefully. So it's still a struggle. It's not a struggle where I think I'm going to just shoot up. But yeah, life is difficult. Life is difficult for everyone. And it's the behavior that is attached to addiction. The first two years of sobriety, I held on for dear life, not to use heroin, every day. It was, it was very difficult, which is really my message out there to anyone with an addiction is to not give up because I didn't just get clean overnight. I was in 12-step and rehabs from age 19 to 29 failing. So if you're out there and you are suffering and you... You are like me and you can't do it. Just don't give up. Don't give up. If you have a pulse and a heartbeat, you have a chance. This has been a conversation with Joe Budignano, author of Acrobatic, a contortionist heroin romance. I'm Steve Pride. Thanks for listening.
What a story, Steve. Amazing. Yeah, Joe is such a sweet guy. He actually drove up here from San Diego just for that interview to be with us. That's amazing. And I'm not proud, but I'm so sorry that Mario Lopez is no longer young enough to do the TV movie of this because that was an incredible story. <laughs> well, still to come. I recently sat down with newly out country star Billy Gilman. He was at the grand opening of a West Hollywood bar brand new called Flaming Saddles. Oh, you got to go. Yeah. Mm, nice. And to celebrate the life of Ron McHugh, one of my favorite poets, I remember when I was in high school mm. covering him. So I was very surprised in 2003 when I got invited to his 70th birthday party. Really? So we're going to get in our gay back machine and go back to 2003 for that party. Back, 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 back. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Country music star Billy Gilman comes out, coming up now on the Rainbow Minute. On November 20th, 2014, Billy Gilman came out as gay in a YouTube video. He had decided to come out after a local reporter snapped a picture of him with his partner. He wanted to tell his fans himself before the photo went viral. Gilman's announcement came just hours after country music star and friend Ty Herndon made his coming out statement. Gilman began singing publicly at age seven. At age 11, he hit it big with One Voice, a top 20 hit on the country music charts. His album of the same name made him the youngest singer to reach number one on the Billboard Top Country Music Albums chart. In the YouTube video, Gilman said, Now that I have found my place as a person, that only makes the music that much better. The Rainbow Minute is produced by Judd Proctor and Brian Burns at WRIR in Richmond, Virginia, and read by volunteers like me, Todd Ransom. Hey everybody, this is Billy Gilman, and you're listening to IMRU at KPFK. Welcome back. You're listening to IMRU Radio. I am Steve Pride. I'm Chris Ann Eastwood. And I'm Wenzel Jones. The time is now 7.32. What's next? You know what is next? I got a chance to sit down with the adorable Billy Gilman. You heard about him just before we came back on the air, this incredible song. He was a song singing young lad. Double platinum album. Double platinum. I mean, he was a country sensation. He was this little guy, 11 years old, and blew the roof off. Big, big voice. And um, and then, you know, made a couple albums, then was out for a while, and then he has come out. So he is one of us, as some of us may have suspected. And he was just a delight to chat with and he was at the opening of a brand new country western bar with dancing bartenders here in west hollywood at the flaming saddles let's hear what billy gilman had to say to me in my presence right now is billy gilman who is going to be opening tonight the grand opening of flaming saddles here in west hollywood billy you look terrific thank you i'm feeling good you know out of the cold weather it's all good we are out of the cold weather. You're here in California, here to open this brand new bar. And I, I'm reading on your bio and everything. You've had quite a history. I remember you when you were a little guy singing Ben. Oh, with Michael, absolutely. Michael Jackson at the Madison Square Garden. Yeah, that's quite a long time ago. But uh, very, very honored to have been a part of that. It's, it's cr- kind of crazy. Now, you are a boy from Rhode Island. How did country music become your genre? Country music was is huge there. Um, I mean, Jody Messina, who is a very well-known country artist, comes from Massachusetts. It's bigger than people think. I grew up on a 60-acre horse farm, three and four horses at a time. So it's it's pretty predominantly country. You know, there's always the city, but there's a lot of country people, and that's how I was raised. 
So you've been out of the spotlight for a while, and you made a big splash this fall with your coming out. Uh, How long a journey was that to finally get to that point? You know, it wasn't a long journey, actually, in in all actuality. Uh, I was doing music and recording and knew that there were certain situations within my genre of music that were holding me back. And I never really realized it was just me being me that was the problem. And there is some kind of a stigma there. And and I thought, you know what, finally coming to grips with who I am and and being 100% happy, that only makes music better. I have to be an advocate for this situation to help not only people within my career that may or not be gay. Who knows what people are going through? I'm only living my life, but there are many people that are living their own lives. And I thought, you know, I've been an advocate for the muscular dystrophy, for St. Jude cancer. Why not be an advocate for my life? Tell me what kind of support you've gotten from other country music contemporaries. Oh, my gosh. It's, it's, it's been pretty, uh, pretty amazing so far. Um, Keith Urban, Leanne Rimes, a girl on Pretty Little Liars who has made a great country career for herself, uh, Lucy Hale. She's one of my great friends and has nothing but she just went right on a Twitter tangent being supportive so it's it's been amazing it really has been so far tell me about the vibe you know you said that part of the genre something you know, I read on your your website and so forth that the genre itself still has kind of a a problem with for lack of a better word LGBT lives and country music what can we do to help change that you know I really don't know because I'm not one to cause waves I'm just one to live my life and better any situation that I can be a part of there is a slight hang-up, and I, I don't understand, because we are just the same as anyone else. And uh, what should really speak is the music. It should not matter anything else, but are you delivering music that people want to A, buy, sing to, and go to the concert and sing along with you? If that's the key, then it shouldn't matter anything else. So hopefully, you know, step by step, I'm very, very positive that some great strides are being made in this situation and uh, I'm very excited to see what this coming year brings for the LGBT community as far as Nashville goes and hopefully I had a small part in it you never know Speaking of Nashville, do you watch the ABC series Nashville? Oh, religiously I actually binge watch I didn't get to see the last season before the this, this season break before the new one so I just binge watched it when we were having the 700 feet of snow falling <laughs> Now, are you going to get on this show? Because, you know, there is kind of a gay storyline in and out of that show. Uh, my, my wife watches it. Um, but I'm going to watch it. If you are, are there anything in the works for you maybe being part of it? There is so much stuff uh, coming along the uh, ropes. And that has been one thing that I've been kind of fighting. Do I, should I, should I not? It has come across the desk, but I haven't said yes to anything just yet. But it's, it's a great show, and it's bringing a lot of, themes and subjects that may shock people as far as like the whole gay situation. Uh, it's, it's generalizing and, and bringing forth a, a specific situation to people that might not know what goes on in Nashville. You know, you just buy the records. So I, I am in full support of that show and love that show and uh, you never know. Now there's two big shows. There's of course Nashville with all the great country songs and then of course the new show on Fox called Empire which is blowing up the hip-hop world and which also has a gay storyline as well. Do you think musicals and music television, and I, I credit Glee for starting this whole thing, you think it's going to be back? They've all been successful and uh, I am so for that. I, You know, I've always been one to be a singer. I am a singer first and my fans have just always been by my side. 
and these shows are allowing so many different demographics come together especially Glee, rock music, pop music, they're doing Streisand covers, they're showing this new generation up and coming all these different styles of music and I just think it broadens each horizon which knocks down any barrier I mean really when you think about it so I think little by little all of these shows that are coming forth are making such a huge stride in equality of any form we're very excited about this a new country western bar opening up here in West Hollywood because I know there's a lot of country fans uh, in the LGBT community, and not just in the South, not just in Texas, not just where we assume they're going to be. But, you know, you all had your early country. Who are your early country heroes? Oh, my early country heroes. It was two people. Easiest answer. It was Garth Brooks and Pam Tillis. Pam actually ended up singing on one of my earlier records with me, did a duet, and to have her on a CD of mine, I grew up listening. She was my first concert I ever went to at five years old. I, that was the very first fan club I ever belonged to. Those two people made me want to do what I do. I watched their shows and all the little Austin City Limits when she was on and Garth's concert specials, you know. Yeah, those are the two. Now, there are, there are some criticisms that country music has gone really, really poppy and really, really formulaic. I don't know if you've seen, there's a bit of mashup of like seven or eight different songs, of Dirk's, you know, a variety of artist songs that sound really, really similar. Any thoughts on that? They sell between 500 and 2 million copies, so <laughs> the proof is in who's buying it. It doesn't really matter what people think, you know, and that's the amazing thing. They, everyone can have a hang-up or an opinion, but at the end of the day, when it's selling very well, it is what it is. It, to me, it's no more pop than when Shania Twain came out in 1997 with Man, I Feel Like a Woman. It's evolved a little bit, but it's still the same formula. So it's just, you know, I, I applaud people wanting to push the boundary, but still keeping... Like, Dirk Bentley will have no problem going to the Grand Ole Opry, but he knows what's going on in the market right now. You know, they, they, you stay true to your roots, but you also push the envelope in a respectful way, and I think that's important. You know, I'm a music child of the 70s and the 60s, and there were crossover hits. I mean, there were big songs, you know, I, I Never Promised You a Rose Garden by Lynn, Lynn Anderson, a country hit, but was a huge pop hit. Everything is Beautiful, Ray Stevens, a country hit, but a huge bit. Funny face. Funny Funny Face by Donna Fargo. I mean, those were huge pop hits, but they called them crossover. Is there crossover anymore? Absolutely. I think there is because, uh, well, I should say that, but I shouldn't because it would play on pop and country radio. There's a few selective artists that do actually make it on pop radio as far as country. But um, I think there is a crossover because I meet so many people that come around to me and say, oh, I don't like country music, but I love you. Or, and the same thing, I'm speaking to Leanne Rimes, and she says the same thing, you know? So there is crossover potential, and there are crossover fans within your, you know, your fan club. So tell me this, what's next for you after tonight? What's next? I'm actually rehearsing with a new band, uh, hiring new guitar players and stuff to go out on the road. I uh, hired a new agent, very excited. Uh, remixing a brand new single called Say You Will that just came out, doing the music video. So we're busy. Now. Say that again. It's all good. Billy Gilman, you can find all the information at billygilman.net. Or Orcom, Billy Gilman. Same thing. And what do you want to say to the kids out there, the young kids out there ready to pick up a guitar, and, but they're not sure if they can do, you know, we always assume that being LGBT means you have to do dance music and house music and so forth. What do you say to that kid? Absolutely. You know what? When you get behind a microphone or you pick up a guitar, whatever comes out, let it be your true self because that is what people identify with 
If you're trying to be something you're not, the buying public suss that out within a second. They know when it's not real. And I always come from a place of truth. And it, and it came a point in my life where I needed to be truthful to my fans and to my country community. This is who I am. Just be truthful to you. Follow your heart song because that is what will lead you to a happiness and possible success. Thanks a lot, Billy. My really pleasure. Have fun tonight. Thank you, Thank you so much for taking the absolutely, time. Absolutely. Absolutely. But one voice, one Thank you, Chris, and that was just delightful. Well, golly gee, thank you, Darlin. there, Wenzel. He was, you know, he's really terrific, and uh, you know what? And he's gay, and I'm glad he's one of us because we sing. I, we sing better, I think. When well, we really Steve and do. I were both sitting here saying he sounds just adorable. Well, you know what? He does look a little bit like Haley Joel Osment, and that's a good thing, act, I guess. You know, I I'm not so much into what guys look like like you fellows are. So, but he was very sweet, and I wish him all the best of luck. I just see what's inside. Yes. <laughs> That beautiful soul. Yeah. Beneath right. that firm torso. And well, the Well, speaking bridge. of a very beautiful soul, on Friday we lost a poet, a singer-songwriter, a musician, a legend. Rod McEwen passed away at the age of 81. So tonight, in honor of his life, we're getting back into the IMRU Gay Back Machine to 2003, when I got invited to his 70th birthday party. Crank it up, Wenzel. Crank it up. <laughs> In 1950, Rod McEwen coined the phrase, make love, not war, and it became a rallying cry for both the Korean and Vietnam conflicts. So it is oddly serendipitous that on the night another war is launched, I find myself attending a party for McEwen. Just as our interview was to begin, McEwen has been whisked back outside to face the paparazzi, but the night is young and there's a handsome man at the bar. Harry Hamlin. Well, I tell you, you know, when I was in college and before, Rod McEwen was my hero, and still is, but uh, he, he set the tone for much of my formative years. Yeah, absolutely. My name is Dom DeLuise, and I'm here with my son, Michael. Obviously, a lot of people have a giant amount of respect for Rod McEwen. He is the best, and we need more people like him now that the world is in such turmoil. The fact that we have a man who believes that tenderness is the way to live instead of what's going on today. I mean, it really is so scary. As we drove down here, we were very aware that the war was, was imminent. I'm with Buddy Hackett. With everything that's going on right now, is this the perfect time for the return of Rod McEwen to the concert stage? This I can't tell you. I know what we think is going on in the world 
goes on all the time. It's just closer to home this time. But if we take the time to think of the people starving and the fact that China now has more than a million cases of AIDS when last year they only had 100,000, it's just, if you don't write a little poetry and if you don't tell a few jokes, the thought of it's going to kill you. Phyllis Diller is not just a fan of Rod McEwen, she's a good friend. We've known each other for 50 years. When he was 18 years old, he was working at a radio station in the Bay Area where he had this very successful show. He was writing poetry and he wrote every week, he wrote a whole new show. And I fell in love with him then and I've been in love with him ever since. This is This Way Out, which is a gay and lesbian show. Do you have a shout out to any of your gay and lesbian fans out there? Well, yes. Live the great life and have a lot of fun. Hi, uh, this is uh, Red Buttons. What did you want to know? Rod McEwen. Why are you a fan of Rod McEwen? I never heard of Rod McEwen. I just saw people coming to a party and I just drummed in. And you are? Sally Kirkland. I've heard of you. Oh, I hope so. 91 movies. Okay. We had joy, we had fun, we had seasons oh. in the sun. We had, go on, go on. Dun, da, 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 Tom! What are the rest of the words? We had joy, we had fun, we had seasons in the sun. Okay, in French. I am finally back with Rod McEwen. Rod, where have you been? And I don't mean tonight. I mean, you've been out of the public eye for a long time. I have. I went through a clinical depression, and uh, they don't know how to um, diagnose that. And so it was, in a way, it was kind of up to me. One morning I woke up and said to myself, what the hell do you have to be depressed about? And the answer was nothing. And, um, and so I got over it. That's about it. Well, it took me 10 years. I grew up in Florida in the 1970s, and as I recall, you were one of the loudest voices raised against Anita Bryant and her Save the Children campaign. Don't drink the orange juice. I beg you, please. Don't drink the orange juice. Yeah, that was a long time ago. I, I don't like anyone who's against human rights, and uh, I just thought what she was saying, the fact that nobody was replying to it and nobody was challenging her was wrong. And so uh, I'm, I'm, I'm a friend to anyone who's struggling for human rights. That reminds me, you are also famous for a somewhat melancholy, but a really poignant song about being gay in the 1960s called The Ballad of the Sad Young Men. I wish I'd written that. I didn't. I was the first person to record it, but that was written by Fran Landsman and Tommy Wolf. Uh, they wrote it years before, but it wound up in a Broadway show that's called The Nervous Set. And uh, they sent it to me, and, uh, and I recorded it. I recorded it a couple times, and I love that song. What do you think of the strides we've made in terms of gay rights? Well, I think, you know, I think gay rights have made some progress, not enough, but I think it's like anything else. It's slow. I don't think blacks have made the kind of progress they should. I don't think women have made the kind of progress. I led the first Women's Liberation Day parade in Sydney, Australia. And um, those are, civil rights are really important to me. I'm going to be 70 next month, and I've been blessed with a wonderful life. And uh, I've come up at a time when 
all kinds of changes were going on. I know that the kids of today are impatient. Uh, they have a right to be, but it'll all work out in the end. I think it will because uh, we're all human beings. Nothing more, nothing less. We're not angels. We're not desperados. We're human beings. We're not straight. We're not gay. We're not women. We're not men. We're people. We're human beings who need to be accorded the same rights and privileges as every other human being on the face of the earth. I'm surprised that so many of my old friends have come out on a night like this when I guess war has started. And um, I worry about us, you know, the old men of this country, sending our children off to fight in, uh, in battles. Uh, I don't want anyone to die on my behalf. I'm capable of doing that myself when the time comes. Mr. McEwen, could I talk you into doing a reading of my favorite poem, Creed? I can almost read it from memory, but not quite. I'm putting on my glasses. It doesn't matter who you love or how you love, but that you love. For in the end, the act of loving any man is the act of loving God. The good in men is all the God there is. And loving is a contribution to that good and to that only God. I believe that with my heart. There were a few questions I had that remain unanswered. I'm not sure if Rod McEwen is gay, straight, or bisexual. I'm also not sure that it matters. I am sure he is a good friend to our community, and his emergence from retirement returns a much-needed voice to the world stage. For his is a special gift that puts into words and music what we all are thinking and hoping and dreaming. For more information, visit Rod's website at www.mcewen.com. This is Steve Pride in Hollywood. Thanks for listening. I go to Florida a lot Because the weather's always hot There's pretty girls and pretty boys As many Jews as there are goys As many blacks as there are whites As many days as there are nights many straights as there are gay Yes, they have fun in lots of ways Ah, but don't drink the orange juice I beg you please Don't drink the orange juice I beg you please Don't drink the orange juice I beg you please Might lead to all kinds of bigotries I can't believe I never heard that Don't Drink the Orange Juice. I'm so glad you included that because I lived there at the time. I never heard that song. It was a big song in Florida. I know. I always think of, when I think of Rob McEwen, I think of Gene from Prime Minister Miss Gene mm, Brody. Oh, yeah. I love That's, that song. Yeah. And um, what was the Sally was singing? Seasons in the Sun. Seasons in the Sun. I'm so glad other people get drunk and sing Seasons in the Sun. Terry Jacks is Terry the guy Jacks who was the guy saying that. Yes. Yeah. Oh, my. Um, oh my. Well, Ron actually did come out full force a couple of years after that. Um but he's always been, no matter what, what the cause, there for us. No, kind of like Pete Seeger. I mean, just out there, out there for us. Well, that's the end of our ride. Gather your personal courage. Take Tim Politico's by the hand and exit to the far left of the tram's forward motion. And a reminder, we are holding our annual six-week radio workshop at KPFK on Saturday mornings. It starts very soon. If you are interested in volunteering for IMRU and learning how to be a radio superstar... Email Steve Pride at training at imruradio.org. And if you want to contribute time but are not necessarily interested in being on the air, 
We also need folks to help with the website, social media, publicity, cataloging 40 years of archives, and just helping with several special new projects. Our thanks to tonight's director, Michelle Marie Gilkison, coordinating producer Steve Pride, and our Rainbow Minute producers, Judd Proctor and Brian Burns. Follow us on Facebook at IMRU Radio, where the link to the latest show is posted by noon every Tuesday. You know, I read somewhere that there's one man who just came out that is the only Academy Award and Tony Award winning person that's out there gay now. Um, We're going to close with a welcoming song to Joel Gray, who just came out at age 82. Here's Joel himself performing the opening number from Cabaret. Willkommen. Welcome. Thank you. Good night. Auf Wiedersehen. Wiedersehen. Tschüss. Tschüssi. Willkommen. Bienvenue. Welcome. Fremde. Etranger. Stranger. Glücklich zu sehen. Just wie's enchanté. Happy to see you. Welcome and bienvenue, welcome in cabaret, oh cabaret to cabaret.